All right, we're in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and everybody's been doing such a great job with this sermon series, and, but today I don't have all the charts and stuff. I think we got the idea, <laughs> we've, we've had several weeks of charts and where we're at, and, and the, this portion of scripture where they're coming back out of exile is, is a powerful part of the Bible, and it's good to see how all that fits in. And today, my assignment that was given to me is Nova, uh, Nehemiah, the first seven chapters. And so as I look through that, there's a lot of good stuff in the first seven chapters. In fact, I could probably speak, preach ten sermons out of the first seven chapters of Nehemiah. And, and it's interesting, in what it was presented, it was presented as the book of Ezra uh, 1 and 2. And, and what I found interesting as I looked through it, because it starts off the words of Nehemiah. And, but why was it, this is the words of Nehemiah, why is it called the book of Ezra? And I found it very interesting, a lot of uh, commentaries and people believe that, that Nehemiah rubbed people the wrong way. And, and if, if it would have put that he wrote it, that the Israelites wouldn't have read it. <laughs> so they're like, and you know what? God uses some leaders sometimes that rub people the wrong way. And, and I, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, okay, why did he rub people? And I tried to find out why they said that, and, and I gave up. But um, there's a lot of good things here. And so we're going to do quickly, I'm just going to do an overview of these seven, seven uh, chapters, and then we're going to come back to, to chapter one again. And here's the overview real quick. Uh, Nehemiah hears the need. Nehemiah processes the need in prayer and repentance. That's what we're going to come back and talk about. And, and, and as I was been praying about this, because we were assigned this portion a long time ago. And as I've been praying about this portion, um, I was in my basement doing other things and praying along the line. And I found in my basement a piece of a chandelier. My house had a chandelier that, that my wife hated <laughs> when we bought it. So I took it down in the basement. And I, I found this piece, that, there was actually a couple pieces laying around different places, and it reminded me of a tear. And, and I'm like, wow, you know, Nehemiah shed tears. And, and, and that's, so we made a tree of tears. And I was going to bring it today, but it was so, I was afraid it was going to fall apart as I brought it here. So, so anyway. So Nehemiah processes the need in prayer and repentance. Nehemiah shares the need to the king. Nehemiah takes ownership of the need, and, and he made a big ask. It's amazing. He, he asked the king for a lot of things, and the king said yes. And, and I remember years ago, Bill Hybels, I was in a, a, a conference, and Bill Hybels was preaching on this passage. And he concentrated on the big ask. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, we have to make the big ask. 
We have to, and sometimes that big ask, we ask not of Christians, but of unbelievers. And they pour out blessing. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. But he made the big ask. Nehemiah makes preparations to, to meet the need. Nehemiah leads the community to do the work because the community did rise up and do the work. Nehemiah and the community face opposition. Nehemiah and the community celebrate by reading God's word. Okay, this is all happening in these first seven, seven chapters. And all, any of these things could be a sermon in itself. So I just wanted to get it out there because I don't know who, what direction the next person is going. So this is the things that happen in these seven, seven, seven chapters. But I want to come back to the first chapter here. But first I want to say, who is Nehemiah? We already found out that Nehemiah rubbed people the wrong way sometime. And because he was a forceful leader, he had a knowledge and he believed. And he also had a letter from the king saying to do what he says. Not King Jesus, but the king uh, of the Persia. Okay. So, so who is Nehemiah? One, I want to step back here. This is really important. This is a deep thing. In Jeremiah 20, 29. Jeremiah 29. Uh, Jeremiah is writing a letter to all those that are held in captivity. It's a powerful letter. And I, it's really, Jeremiah 29 has affected um, my life and actually is one of the things that, that brought us here to Aliquippa because it, it gives these instructions to those in captivity. And, and one, Jeremiah says, you're going to be in captivity a long, long time. Don't believe the prophets among you who say you're going to go back tomorrow. He says, you're going to be there a long time. And then we come to Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, Where I, we like this in the church in America today. I know the plans for you. Okay? So plans, I have good thoughts for you. I have plans for hope and a future. Okay, this is in the context that they're there in captivity. They're there in a struggling time. And Jeremiah gives them these instructions to, to live at peace, to pray for Persia, well, with Babylon, that Persia, but pray for them, to be at peace with them, to pray that they prosper, because if, you pro if they prosper, you prosper. He said, also, marry and have your kids marry. Raise families while you're in captivity. And so... Jer Nehemiah was one of those from captivity. He grew up in captivity. When, so when Jeremiah said, I know the plans for you, he's talking about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, who was he? Nehemiah at this point sat as an advisor to the king. He sat there. He was the cupbearer. He took care of the king. He was in a position of great importance. He was in a, a, a position of great wealth. He was in a position. He was the the kid of captivity that made it good. He was in this position. He was a fulfillment of that prop, prophecy. 
He was the fulfillment of Jeremiah's letter. And he was in this position. And, and we're going to jump ahead in, in chapter 2. He, he asked the king to go back. And what's the king said? How long are you going to be? The king valued him so much he didn't want him to go. He's like, how long are you going to, when are you coming back? So here is Nehemiah, grown up in captivity, grown up in a foreign land, and he was prospering. See, God had plans for Nehemiah. God had plans for Nehemiah back there when Jeremiah wrote that letter. Okay, so here he was the king's cupbearer. And, and let's go to chapter 1. Let's pull that up. There we go. Okay. The words of Nehemiah. This is, starts it off. So here, here, whether Ezra is taking it down or Nehemiah, a lot of people believe Nehemiah himself wrote this. Uh, but this is the words of Nehemiah, the son of, I can't say his last name, Hecla. It came to pass in, in the month of Shezla, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the citadel, the citadel was the, this was the, the capital of Persia at this time. Okay. And, and Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with the men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are, are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So here, Nehemiah heard these words. He heard, what, what's he hear? He said that the people were, were, were in a tough situation. They were in distress. The walls were broken down. And it took him to a place of mourning, a place of tears. And, and it, 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 it's, it's something that, that, that we have to realize is that God cares for brokenness. He cares for those broken places. He wants to do something about it. So here, when, when Nehemiah heard of the brokenness, he was moved to prayer. He was moved to prayer. And, and so then chapter 1, most of chapter 1, is his prayer. And it's a powerful prayer. And let's just look at there's some elements here. The first part of his prayer was praise. Praise. And this is like when we do the, the, the college of prayer. That's, you know, we take the Lord's Prayer, and the, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is praise also. So you'll see some of these things from the college of prayer in this prayer. And I, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who, who love you and observe your commands. So he's like, he starts, Lord God in heaven, you are awesome. You are an awesome God. And here, I'm a man from captivity and I'm in a place of power. 
Amen. Oops. I've come undone. <laughs> and I'm broken. <laughs> so God loves the broker. Then it goes on to a petition. A petition. In verse 6 it says, Please let your ear be attentive and your, your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servants, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants. So here, here Nehemiah says, I'm praying, but I'm praying day and night. See, we have one chapter, but we're going to get into this. This is way more than one chapter that this prayer is happening. This is, this is written in one chapter, but, but, but Nehemiah is going to the Lord. And he's saying, God, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Hear me. Makes me think of, of the Dr. Seuss, the who. Horton hears the who. I'm here, we're here, we're here. You know, we're here, we're here. But God, he's like, I'm here. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Then, this is the big one, he confesses. And it goes on in verse 6, it says this, And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Now he stops, and he doesn't just say, hey, it was them. It was them. You know, when I grew up in a time where everybody was pointing the finger of the previous generation, it says they messed up. We're going to correct it, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. So Nehemiah is not doing that. He's like, my fathers have sinned, and I have sinned also. I have sinned also. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. Okay. He, he's, he brings it to, it's God. When we act corruptly, we act corruptly against God. It might affect our spouses. It might affect our friends. But we're acting corruptly against God. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servants, Moses. Then he goes back and says, but remember, remember. uh, Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Now he's remembering, the reason we're here is because we blew it. The reason we're in captivity is because we blew it. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to a place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He's like, remember, this is what you said. We're cast out, but we're coming back. Then this is humility. Now these are your servants, your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And he's humble. He's like, I'm your servant. It's, it's you who did this. It's you who are the redeemer. It's not anything I've done. You know, sometimes in, in church it's like, only if I can be good enough. If only I can do everything right. He goes back, he says, it's you. It's you, Lord. It's you, Lord. Then he says this, the final petition. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to your prayer of your servant. 
to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. He's like, I desire to honor you. I desire to respect you. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Okay, so here's the prayer. Then it says, for I was the cupbearer of the Lord, as you go on with the scripture here. But you've got to understand that between verse 1, chapter 1, and verse 1, chapter Verse, I mean, chapter 2, verse 1, um, there was a sustained prayer and fasting. So Nehemiah, this is a quote from Thomas Bruce. So Nehemiah fasted and prayed. It appeared he prayed for four months, confessing the sins of Israel, asking God to remember his covenant with his people, and asking God to, to grant him favor with the king. And why do we say this? In Nehemiah uh, chapter 1, it says, it came to pass in the month of Chisla. In chapter 2, it says, it came past the month of Nisan. These two months in the Jewish camp, they are four months. There is four months between chapter 1 verse 1 and chapter 2 verse 1. It is a sustained prayer. It's not just, hey, God do this and God did it. So for these four months, he was serving the king. He was there doing his job, but he was praying. Okay. He was broken. He was weeping. And on that fourth month, the king's like, why are you so sad? He's been, he's been sad for four months. He's been sad for four months. And the king finally says, oh, you're looking sad today. (laughs) And then that's where the big ask comes in, where he says, but, you know, let me tell you why I'm sad. Let me tell you why I'm sad. And he asks, and he says he's sad of the brokenness. You know what? God is moved by brokenness. He is actively working out a plan of redemption. So when when he in Jeremiah writes, you're going to be here for 70 plus years. And after 70 years, people started coming back. But Nehemiah was was hanging back. There was a wave, a couple waves that came before Nehemiah went. And some people never left Persia. So... So, but God is actively working out a plan of redemption. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which I referenced before, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, say the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and hope. This was written while God's children was in captivity, but in the midst of their struggle, he was still working out the plan of redemption. And the cool thing about God is that this plan of redemption that he works out comes through his people. The brokenness that we see around us, God is working out a solution, but he uses people. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zerubbabel, Zechariah, and Joshua the high priest were all part of the plan. He was all, they were all part of the solution for brokenness. 
that would lead eventually to the Messiah Jesus. And the Messiah Jesus, just like Nehemiah, wept over Jerusalem. And today, God is still moved by brokenness. And still today, God's solution to brokenness is is to still use people. My wife and I met at a ministry called Cure You. And Cure You was like AI on steroids. <laughs> so we were in the city of Toronto, which is, uh, is at the time we were there, it was the third largest uh, city in North America. It was Mexico City, New York, and Toronto in North America was the largest at the time we were there. I don't know what it is now. So here in Toronto, it's the third largest city. And, and, and Curio had a ministry to the Ontario housing kids that we would go into the Ontario housing kids and preach Jesus to them. And then during the summer, we would take them three hours north of the city to a camp. And we would run camp for 12 weeks over the summer and taking all these kids from the city. Then, during, during the, the, the school days, we would do a Saturday Sunday school that we would bus kids, kids from all over the city to a, a, a gymnasium and do a, a Saturday Sunday school. And during that time, during the week, we, we had different young men and women assigned housing units housing groups, and, and we were called pastors, and we would do, we would do uh, midweek uh, Bible studies and, and homework clubs and all. So we had all this going on. And every Saturday morning, before we would do our Saturday big thing, uh, here we would meet at this pastor's uh, house, and we'd go to his basement. And he was, he was well past retirement at the time, and, and, and he was one of the biggest people I ever knew. He was like Herb Bailey tall. <laughs> you know, so, so, and we were in this, his, his, we would go down to his finished basement, which was 70s finished, you know, drop ceiling and stuff. And I remember, I remember doing prayer meetings and he would sit on the couch. He would sit on the couch and, and he would put one hand over his eyes he put his other hand up, and it was, he had such a wingspan that even sitting on the couch, he almost touched the ceiling of this room. You know, and, and he would be weeping, right? He'd be weeping. He'd be weeping, and he'd break out in this song in, in, in a terrible voice. And it would say, he'd be weeping. He'd say, make me a lover of souls. And he would sing this song, and, 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 and he would be weeping and crying. And you know, over the years, his ministry led thousands of children to the Lord. Thousands. By the time we were there, it was going on for 17 years by that time. And, and he would go around to different Bible colleges and hire uh, Bible college students to come up for the summer. And he influenced hundreds of ministers for the gospel. And so, but he would be broken 
and make me a lover of soul. He'd be crying and weeping in his basement. And as I was thinking of that, he saw the need of fatherlessness in, in Toronto. He saw the brokenness. He saw the addiction. He saw all this stuff. And he was crying because he knew Jesus was the answer. He knew Jesus was the solution. What wall of brokenness moves you to tears? You know, as I grew in Christianity, sometimes we become complacent. And we're not really, we're just going through the motions. We're not really digging in. Years later, um, I was, was living in Maryland and, and my, my parents were having health issues. And so after Sunday church, I would drive um, to Pittsburgh from Maryland four hours. And I would do whatever, be out with my, my mom and dad. And then I would drive back. Just going. Right now, we're, we, we were in, 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 at this time, we were in Maryland for about 11, 12 years. And, and God was, we were meeting our bills. Everything was cool there. We had a nice house and everything. And I remember when I would drive back, I would just switch the radio and listen to whatever, say four hours, you know, driving. And, and I would have a commitment that, you know, it, it, if it, it came on the station, unless it was country music, I wouldn't turn it. So, and, and I'm driving back. And, and this Chuck Berry song came on called Memphis, Tennessee. Has anyone ever heard of the song Memphis, Tennessee? Okay. In Memphis, Tennessee, and I, it was, it's written by Chuck Berry. I don't know if he was singing it when I heard it, because there's many versions of it. But it's the story about a dad who's separated from his six-year-old daughter. And, and I'm driving back, and I'm listening to this song, and I start weeping. I'm like crying. I'm in my car by myself. I'm just crying over this song called Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm weeping. And, 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 and as I was doing that, you know, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you don't cry over the people you really know. Because at the time, I was more frustrated with the people I really know. And, and, and God just touched my heart and said, okay, well, what, what, what burden do I have? And at the time, I, I found that I started desiring and mourning over authentic Christian community. Authentic Christian community. And, and right after that, um, we came home and, and we were doing church, our regular church, and we started a Sunday night group with, with uh, a group of people that weren't even from our church. And we did it for about a year and a half right after that. And because we desired to have deeper, authentic community. And, and one of the families that was in that group is now a missionary to Cambodia. And they have just texted me um, yesterday that, that prayed for their son in Cambodia had a fever. And so we prayed, and this morning I got a text, poop, the fever's gone, he's healed. Yeah. You know, but it's community. 
God designed that. And that was part of the, the mourning that brought us here to, to Aliquippa is this desire for deeper, authentic Christian community. So as I said earlier, we made a tier a tree, uh, uh, a tree of tears that I wanted to bring today. I took a picture of it, but it, it would have it probably broke more than the one. So I have all the tears here. I just want us to think right now. What is something that breaks, you, breaks your heart today about your community? What is something that breaks your heart? And this is asking you guys. So someone, if something comes to your mind that breaks your heart that needs to be repaired in the community. Division and prejudice. Division and prejudice. Okay, someone else. Poverty. Poverty. This is my box of roses. Someone else. What's something? Fatherless children. Fatherless children. That brings us back to Memphis, Tennessee. Fatherless children. What's some other things? That addiction. Addiction. Any other things? Something that breaks. God still cares about these broken things. God still cares about these brokenness. So what does anything move you to tears? If, if we can't weep, we need to seek God in that. But I want to tell you this. just want to mention a couple of things before we close. Not all broken things are our mission. There are sometimes broken things or, you know, Nehemiah had this time of prayer and fasting. It could have been that God just led him there in that time of prayer and fasting. But God stepped it up and put his heart on to do and go about the mission. And he did go about the mission. And the wall was built. And the word was read and proclaimed. And again, that brought back. But not all broken things are your mission. They could be someone else's. The temple, Haggai wrote about repairing the temple from this period of time. That was his mission. That was not Nehemiah's mission. All broken things, you might pray about them, but they're not all your mission. And one example of this, when I was in uh, Point Rocks, Maryland, uh, this, this guy got saved, and, 
And, and he came to me and he's like, uh, he had a really reprobate lifestyle before. And he said, I want you to come with me to the strip clubs and put tracks on everybody's cars and then stay out and pray for people. And you know what? I said, I'll pray for that, but I don't think that's a good idea for me. <laughs> but it's true, there's that brokenness happening. And, and, and over the years, I remembered, I prayed for this, these people, and not only the, the, the dancers, but just it's just such a, a mess. I, I think we prayed before service. You prayed, what did you pray um, about sexuality over the city? Oh, I forget what you said, but it, it goes with that. Uh, you prayed, um, I, I missed your word. I think coming against the spirit of sexual perversion. Yes. That God will be the, the leader it, of true intimacy. True, that God will be the leader of true intimacy. You know, so, so but since about three years now, uh, a dear uh, uh, acquaintance of ours who used to do kids camp with us, she used to be the secretary of organized kids camp, her and a bunch of ladies in West Virginia every Thursday taking meals to the strippers at the strip club. And they love on them. And so every week I'm praying, she's sending these testimonies. And then she puts a little dot next to it and said, names of the change to protect the innocent. You know, <laughs> so, but she's praying. So here, in Point of Rocks, someone had the burden and the passion for prayer. That wasn't what I need to do. But these ladies, at one in the well are ministering to this same need because that's what God has for them. So every broken thing is not your mission. It could be a prayer connection. But we need to find out what our mission is and what broken thing that God wants us to go to Him about. And then follow Nehemiah's pattern. Going back to that, that outline in the beginning, Nehemiah first prayed and repented. And then God led him the rest of the way. So what are some areas of brokenness that move you today? Let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for his example of of fasting and praying and weeping. I thank you for his stepping out and going back to Israel and setting in place the, the events that led to Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that, that, that you still use people today and that you want to use each one of us. Lord God, as Pastor Bowen was used to touch Toronto. Lord God, each one of us have, have something that you're going to use us in. God, help us to take hold and to weep and mourn and feel your leading. I'm going to leave that box there. If there is something that you want to pray for that's your passion, that God's touched you, some broken area, 
Take one of those. And this holiday season, hang it somewhere. You need to put it on the coming Christmas tree. And just pray for that area of brokenness. Amen. Amen. I think about that moment that John was sharing about um, him having this breakdown over this Tennessee song. Mm -hmm. And I think about how, I don't know how many years ago that happened, but when I look at John and Christine's life, what the Lord did with you in that car has been formed in your life. Every time Sunday morning happens and Christine comes over to me, she says, hey, all of us are gathering for lunch. Do you want to come to lunch today? And I'm like, let me look at my life. Can I come? Consistently, you guys have done that. So God birthed that burden in you. He's kept the flame burning. And I know so many people, so many people here in this room, even me, have benefited from that thing being built and rooted and sprang up in you and Christine all these years. And that just makes me think of like, it's Jesus that does that. Like the fire will burn out if it's us that has to sustain this burden. You just become really jaded and then frustrated at the very people that you tried to save. Um, so you need Jesus to sustain that thing. Um, in the same way that somebody brought you to him. And if maybe somebody hasn't brought you to him, maybe like you just had heard of church for a long time, but you hadn't been brought to Jesus and encountered him, um, that's available for you today, first of all, if you want to meet him. And this is not necessarily a call about if you're a Christian or not, but if you just want to meet him and be brought to him. Um, the prayer ministers will be up here soon to pray for you. I'll be here to pray for you for that. Um, but also... As you feel in your heart led, pray that the Lord would birth the burden, that he would sustain the burden, that he would resource it, that he would finance it, that he would ultimately do it for his glory. Because it's going to be him or it's not going to happen. You know?